And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, and on the day the Pac-12 rose again, we figured the least we could do is wait until all of Pac-12 After Dark was over, and that is what we have done. Matt Fortuna is joining me. We just watched Stanford crush USC, and Matt, I, I mean... There's no tarmac. It's a home game. Do they drive him to? Do they drive Clay Hilton to an airport and leave him there? You, you know, it's called United Airlines Field at Coliseum. Maybe if you want to get creative, uh, it could be similar in that regard with the airline theme. Wow. I mean, I just filed my Saturday takeaways column. It's a two twenty four a.m. Eastern time right now. As that game just went final. And, my lead was all about what a great day this was for the Pac-12, regardless of what happened after the Oregon game, and I had to severely tinker that. Now, I still think a rising tide lifts all ships. Oregon's win over Ohio State, like notwithstanding anything else that happens in that conference the rest of the season, um, puts Oregon in prime position to make a run toward the college football playoff, which is something we've not been able to say about that league this early in the season and probably a decade at this point. Um but man, that was uh, that was a sobering that was a sobering game. I mean, the final was forty two twenty eight, and that is not indicative of at all of what took place. It was a lot of window dressing late. It was forty two thirteen. The boo birds were out. Um, Stanford looked left. like they could barely. Yeah, yeah. Then they left. Stanford, which looked like a barely functional football team a week ago, and had me questioning a lot about their future. Um, finally made the right quarterback switch and committed to it. And in doing so, probably completely turned around the prospects for their season and may have delivered the fatal blow to uh, their arrival from the Pac-12 South. Okay, so let me. we're going to get to the Oregon game. We need to because that's a very important result. The fact that the Pac-12 had a legitimate kind of huge out-of-conference win is a big, big deal. That's, That's maybe the biggest win for the conference since Oregon beat Florida State in the first playoff. But... We got to talk USC because I'm wondering, do you need to do this now so you don't give Clay Helton the chance to win just enough to keep his job? I'm. We've talked about this before. I'm of the belief that you have that I know that I think Jeremy Foley once quoted was wait till tomorrow to do what needs to be done. What must be done eventually must be done (laughs) immediately is what, what Mr. Foley told the Associated Press years and years ago after he'd fired like a tennis coach and a baseball coach. Oh, both of which who had gone to national championships in the past. I I did not. I thought that was because he, I assumed that quote was from when he fired Ron Zuck. I did not know that was for Olympic sports, but wow, pretty ruthless. Um, Here's the thing. Like, what do you think you have in Graham Harrell or whomever it is that you would promote for, at this point, almost a full season, at least 10 games? Um, I'm of that belief, but we've also 
had this song and dance with Clay Helton going on four years now, pretty much. Um, he survived. I mean, to, to, to give fans a, a quick timeline rehash about how incredible and how much the dynamics of that place have kept changing. USC loses Notre Dame in their finale in 2018, finishes five and seven. Lynn Swan, who somehow got the AD job there, puts out a statement saying he's staying. And he pointed to Notre Dame, actually, as like a reason for how you can turn your program around. Lynn Swan gets fired. The chancellor gets forced out. The Aunt Becky scandal happens. Mike Bone, who by all accounts has done a tremendous job did internally not expect there so far. Aunt Becky to come into this, by the no. way. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm glad ta- she did. If we're talking about USC chaos, I mean, there's no way you can do it without Aunt Becky. Um, Mike Bone gets hired so late in the season in 2019 amid so much other turmoil and turnover at the administrative level of USC that he essentially has no choice. Like he didn't even have time to like evaluate the program and like say, Hey, maybe eight and four is not good enough. And what could I do? What what's out there? And then last year, kind of like what you just kind of laid out there as a worst case scenario, they go undefeated in the regular season. Now, some of those were cheap wins. Some of those were fluky wins. Um, I would argue that their one loss, the Oregon game was a, Big Pac-12 scheduling snafu that screwed over their most important team in the conference. But Larry Scott's no longer here to answer for that. And it's a new day in the Pac-12, as we saw today. Um, but I, you know, I just – there are no excuses this year. Not that there were before. It's USC. But but Mike Bone is really invested in that program in a way that his predecessors administratively have not. Uh, the recruiting has been on a tremendous uptick. I mean, 2019 when they kept him. Their recruiting class was ranked in like the 40s or 50s. It was absurd. That's not the case anymore. The program internally is moving in the right direction. Of course, that only means so much if the guy calling the plays on game day is losing by 28 points at home to a not very good Stanford team. So I don't know. I mean, it's USC. I don't think you can rule anything out because there's never a dull moment with that program. I do think from the president on down they're trying to take a more uniform professional approach with pretty much everything in terms of the way they do business and because of that i tend to think that they're going to err on the side of caution and not fire him after his first loss of the season as bad as that was however i will not rule out the chance that that happens at some point this season if they continue to perform the way they did tonight well, I think we know what that means. USC is going to go on a massive winning streak until they get destroyed by UCLA later in the season. <laughs> it, it just you can you can see it all unfold. You can see it all lay out. And but no, it is it is going to be very hot in LA this week because uh, listen, this is what people have been complaining about. But I think that the scarier thing for USC, the thing that they should pay attention to the most, is the fact that the Coliseum was empty when that game ended and apathy is much worse than people being mad at you. I agree completely. I don't think tonight was unique in that regard last year, obviously no fans at all, but like 29, like I I think that was the same risk they took when keeping him 2018, 2019. And I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I can't imagine the season ticket sales for this year are all that better than they were in previous years. Uh, full stadium, full capacity years. And so I I agree with that, but it hasn't changed anything so far. I don't know if tonight would change in that regard. Well, we will find out. uh, Who knows? Maybe something has happened by the time you listen to this show as you're cooking your (laughs) breakfast. But let's get 
to the good news. Well, it's good news for Stanford. Stanford's also in the Pac-12. That's great news for them. But let's get to the really good news in the Pac-12. A massive win. Oregon goes into Columbus without their two best players, without Kayvon Thibodeau, without Justin Flo. And really, they were out without five defensive starters in Columbus. And they control the line of scrimmage. Ohio State did come back. But Ohio State is fantastic and will come back. I was so impressed with the way Oregon dominated this game. I mean, it was the CJ Verdell running the running the ball, the offensive line just being what we thought it would be. Uh, Mario Cristobal has done a great job with that group. Alex Mirabal, their position coach, has been tremendous. But the wonder was, okay, Penny Sewell's gone, and obviously he wasn't playing last season because he opted out. But could they could they cat recapture that and and if you look at their recruiting they've been going and finding really good offensive linemen but they you know that 2019 team had the really old group and you thought okay it, it may take them a while to get back to this nope they're back to it and i think that's the part that impresses me the most because this was going to be a test of how deep is the roster that mario cristobal has created how does it stack up against a team that is a legitimate college football playoff contender? Well, I think we know now. And so, Oregon, everything is out in front of you. Just keep winning. You you even got a mulligan now. You could lose one, and you're fine. But just keep going. You're not segueing from Clay Heldon to Mario Cristobal because you think one might take the other's job, do you? I actually don't. I would. <laughs> I I know I know that Mario will be a candidate if if Helton gets fired along with probably Matt Campbell. Uh, there, there's probably a few. Uh, Luke Fickle. Well, there are going to be a lot. A I mean, it's, it's USC. I think yeah. every coach is going to yeah. want that job. So everybody, everybody's going to want it. But I honestly, the way Cristobal has his program now, wouldn't leave Oregon if I were him. I'd keep winning at Oregon because I've already proven I can. I already know I have the best talent in the league. And you can keep getting – if you can go to Columbus and beat Ohio State – you can beat anyone in the country. And it doesn't matter who USC hires. You can still beat anyone in the country. And so I would just ride that out until Nick Saban retires. Then I would take that job. I agree. Um, today was validation of that. And, you know, I was talking to people around that program the last couple of weeks coming into the season. And, you know, frankly, they were pointing to next year as the year where it was all supposed to come together for Oregon as far as everything he's recruited toward was building for a big year in 2022 to be like a potential national champion. And based on today, they might be ahead of schedule. I think the most shocking part of today's outcome, aside from the actual outcome, was how routine it looked. I mean, they they were the better football team. Like there was nothing fluky about that game. Like your 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 only hope they like you're hoping for Oregon to do something stupid. And Lord knows they've done that before in big games, but like that was the only way they were going to lose this game, which is incredible to say when you're playing a, a, a team that we all had as a national title contender in Ohio state. Now I saw the Buckeyes in person last week, that defense had a lot of work to do. They got most of that secondary back, however, this week. And I, I mean, like Minnesota and Oregon are different programs, but I think they're both similarly built along the offensive line, and when they're playing a team as explosive offensively as Ohio State, uh, they become even more risk-averse than maybe they naturally are because they just want to play keep away. And we saw, you know, even on not his best day, C.J. Stroud was capable of getting the ball into his playmaker's hands and making magic happen with the snap of a finger. Um, 
But I gotta say, Joe Moorhead called a phenomenal game. Um, I think we all Anthony, Anthony Brown, by the way, because you know, here's the thing with it with an RPO heavy offense like they run under Joe Moorhead, the quarterback has to make the correct choices too. And Anthony Brown was awesome. So here, here's I was gonna get to Anthony Brown. I put this in my takeaways column. I was talking to someone a couple weeks ago who said we're previewing previewing Oregon season, and he said, by the way. You know, Urban Meyer, Steve Adazio, as we all know, are very, very close. He even got him his job that he's probably going to lose this season at Colorado State. They lost to Vanderbilt today. They lost to Vandy. Uh, <laughs> Urban Meyer was at a Boston College practice a couple of years ago, and he said, yeah, I'm paraphrasing here, you know, who the hell is that quarterback? That guy is phenomenal. Look at that athlete. And it was Anthony Brown. And that's saying a lot, knowing who it's coming from. Um, but it's also, like, it's, it's validating and rewarding for Anthony Brown because, like, Boston College was pretty darn good when he was healthy. I mean, I think they got out to a 7-2 start in 2018 and got a national ranking and got college game day to come for the Clemson game before he got hurt that game. He had two season-ending injuries and then a coaching change at Boston College. And, like, I'm not going to like – I covered the ACC pretty damn closely. I completely forgot about him when he transferred from Boston College. Um, he, did, he was in the portal for a long time. There was talks of him even coming back to be a reserve for Jeff Halfley. Um, he ends up going to Oregon and being reserved, and they end up liking him so much by the end of last year that Tyler Shock, the starter at Oregon last year, ends up transferring out. And here's Anthony Brown orchestrating the biggest and best upset we've seen in the Pac-12 in, I don't know, a decade or so. I mean, it was Oregon's first win as a two-touchdown underdog since I think 1997 was the stat I saw. It was No one saw this coming outside of Eugene. Absolutely no one. No. And and Mario Cristobal after the game said, hey, it, it's it's the thing you always kill me for and, and say it's boring. It's the process. And, uh, you know, look, he's he's tried to take what he learned working at Alabama and, and also what, what he knows from from his time at, at Miami as a player and, and tried to translate that to Oregon. And I think he has. I think, you know, they've gotten to the point where they they are they have that mentality of dominate every play. You know, don't worry about the scoreboard, that sort of thing. And that's how you win a game like that, because Ohio State's scary sometimes. I mean, the, the way mm-hmm. they can just march down the field and, and strike back so quickly, a lot of teams, even if you catch a lead on them, just can't hold it because they, they get intimidated. They get they get shocked by how fast Ohio State can score. It didn't seem to bother Oregon at all. No, I mean that again. It was it was remarkable for how unremarkable it looked in real time as it was unfolding. Like if you look at that box score from afar and you see Oregon's up seven nothing in the second quarter, you think, oh, you know, Ohio State's screwing around a little bit. Oregon got a fluky touchdown, whatever. No, like they like they won by seven and they were up by fourteen most of that game. Like it was it it completely changed. We'll get to Ohio State later. It completely changed the bar for Oregon and the Pac-12, in my opinion, at least for Oregon, which if they make the playoff, that'll be good for the Pac-12. Like there's, you talk about how they could afford a mulligan. Pac-12 for as much as we knock it has been very deep and has had a lot of parity. Everyone points to the Arizona State game in 2019 when Jaden Daniels went off and they beat Oregon late in the year in prime time to end Oregon's playoff hopes. And I said at the time when it happened in week one, and I stand by it, Oregon was not eliminated in the playoff that night. They were eliminated when they let Auburn off the hook in week one in a game they completely gave away because there's not been an undefeated Pac-12 team in Pac-12 play since Chip Kelly's Oregon team in 2010. 
it is damn hard to run the table in that league. And you don't have to do that when you've got a win at Ohio State under your resume. You get a mulligan. And that's I can't tell you the last time we've been able to say that about the Pac-12. Well, let's talk Buckeyes. D- does this loss lessen your confidence in, in their ability to win the league? Do you think a Penn State could jump up and get them? Do you think a Wisconsin could jump or an Iowa? Iowa's been great. That, that's the so one I was waiting for you to say. <laughs> um, I mean, Iowa's looked damn good so far. I saw them in person last week, and I was a believer in that defense after 30 minutes of watching Phil, Phil Parker's boys get after it. I was a little less certain on that offense, and I'm you know, jury's still a little bit out on them, but say it, you know, Kirk Ferentz knows how to light a fire under these guys. I mean, they've won eight straight games dating back to last year. They got off to that 0-2 start, and they were lights out pretty much the rest of the year. And when you look at their wins during this eight-game streak, top 10 win at Iowa State, uh, winning on the road at Penn State. Uh, I think Wisconsin was ranked when they beat them last year. They've been on something of a tear here going back to midway through last season. And, you know, I, I think all of us, fans, media, you know, college football, like we get so wrapped up in what we think we know about these programs. Like, Iowa's Iowa. They're going to go 8-4 and four this year. They'll win a game they shouldn't. They'll lose a game they shouldn't. But look at Iowa State. Oh, my God. This is so cool. Like, Matt Campbell. Like, how fun is he? Like, I, I, I think we get so obsessed with these shiny new toys. And, look, Matt Campbell deserves a lot of the hype. I don't mean this to knock him. The other day, Kirk Ferentz is undefeated against him, and he does it the same way every time. Iowa has won the turnover battle nine to nothing in their last five games against Iowa State. That is absurd, absolutely absurd. They come to play for this game every single time. Um, to Iowa State's credit, they haven't let it derail their season the way a lot of other teams could with a big early season rivalry loss. But um, I've really liked what I've seen out of Iowa so far, and obviously haven't loved what I've seen out of Ohio State so far. I, I, I thought they were the Best of the Big Ten, but still a step below true national title contender status entering this year. There were just too many questions on that defense for me. And Stroud, while is extremely promising, he's still only a redshirt freshman and is not Justin Fields quite yet. And I think you need to allow some time for a guy like that to grow. But we'll see. I mean, they have not lost a regular season game in the Ryan Day era, which is crazy to say. I mean, Ryan Day was as pointed as could be throughout preseason by basically saying, like, you're not allowed to lose here. End of story. And he said something to that effect last week against Minnesota when Minnesota had him on the ropes for about three quarters. It was just like, we won. We'll take it. Like, like losing is not allowed here. And they just lost very, very early. And all their goals are still theoretically still in front of them. But it's going to come with a lot more drama and tense and angst than we've been used to in Columbus the past three years. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So let's talk about another result that we were not expecting. I, I, I think had Arkansas beaten Texas on a last-second field goal in a tight game, okay, that, that would have been something we would, would have been in the realm of possibility going into to Saturday. To beat them 40-21 to 21 and completely dominate them at the mm-hmm. line of scrimmage was not something we expected. And look, I, I, did, I watched a lot of Arkansas football last year. I did a huge story on Sam Pittman last year. I believe in the guy, but I didn't see this coming at all. I mean, this was an utter domination of Texas. And, you know, Ari and I talk a lot on this podcast about how Texas and USC feel like the same program a lot of the time. And it feels almost like they lost the same game on Saturday night. I, I can see that. Um, you can argue which is more demoralizing. I think USC fans are so ready for a change that they're just kind of whatever at this point. I think the the good vibes of week one of the Sark era quickly <laughs> wore off. Um, it, it's funny to me that you know for all the attention we focus on Texas and, oh, it's a rebuild. Are they back? Are they this or that? I mean, it was just, what, five years ago? Look at the SEC story now. 2,177 days ago, to be exact. Five, no, six years ago, I'm sorry, when Arkansas essentially did that same thing to um, to Texas in, what was it? Borderline erotic. Yeah, borderline. What bowl was it, though? Uh, AutoZone? That was the Texas Bowl. Texas Bowl, Texas Bowl. That was sorry, the borderline sorry. erotic Texas Bowl. The borderline erotic, I remember that. And uh, it actually came up recently because I saw Brett Bielema before he saying seventh inning stretch really be field. And it was the week Texas was going to the SEC. And he said, by the way, for the record, I have a broken finger for my playing days. I was not doing horns down during that press conference. That's just how my fingers are aligned. But the media and the photographers could not get enough of it. Um, they ran for 333 yards tonight against Texas. And again, I know it's year one of a new regime, but it's Texas. It's year two of a regime at Arkansas, whose previous regime went even shorter than the Tom Herman regime. At Texas did. I mean that, that the the Charlie Strong Brett Bielema game was let's see two coaches ago for each I think right correct Morris yes. was anyone for Morris after Bielema no right nope. Um, nope and then Charlie to Tom to Steve Sarkeesian so like <laughs> at some point like just man up and play like I don't know what to say like it's just Sam Pittman had those boys ready last year you know like they, they're the, the way that well, happened and, and, was and, very surprising. And Arkansas, like, if you watched Ole Miss this year and, and if you watched Mississippi State against NC State on Saturday, like, Arkansas still may be the sixth or seventh team in the West, in the SEC West. Like, by the way, Texas, this is what you're getting into. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is what you've signed up for now. The, the SEC chance route, I don't know if you saw some of the, the Twitter videos they put out after. They were cool. Oh, yeah. A lot Absolutely of horns cool. down, too. Absolutely, Uh-oh. tons of horns of down. down. I don't, I don't think the SEC office is going to care much about horn. Like there, there won't be a, a special, you know, 
convocation of, of the SEC athletic directors to talk horns down and, and what the officials are going to do about it. They're just not going to care. Yeah, I, w- I wonder how they're going to uh, react to no longer be able to call their own shots in the league and being probably on the furthest I, end of not being. I'm able pretty to sure call. they don't call any shots in the Big 12 right now, so it's it's not really. Uh, it's not going to feel two all months that ago, no, right but beforehand, yeah. By the way, I, I was misreading that game. It was 2014. Ab- Advocare V100 Texas Bowl. I think I said on his own. 31-7 Arkansas. Um, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> the the immortal borderline erotic game. I mean. Thank God we have Brett Bielema back, even though his team doesn't look so hot three games in <laughs> at Illinois. But. I mean, I gotta, I, I gotta say, this one was sexier than the borderline erotic game. The borderline what? erotic game was boring. This one was, this one was hot. It was hot. I mean, it was, it was, it was out of road venue. Fans storming the field. That's always better than a, a stale bowl game. I mean, it was, it was a cool environment. It was cool to see. I mean, it's cool to see Arkansas, which had about as bad of a two year experience as you could probably experience in a two year coaching era under Chad Morris, almost snapped their fingers and look really damn tough in the trenches and look ready to compete every single week, regardless of who they're playing. Um, that's not something, as much as I love the hire, that's not something I had any reason to expect would happen this soon. And to the Hogs' credit, they're doing it, and um, they gave everyone and I think, two conferences plenty to laugh at tonight with their domination of Texas. This is this is a day where the the team that dominated and look, the team that dominates the line of scrimmage always wins, but but the teams that that traditionally that's their that's their MO, they actually did it today. Uh, uh, Arkansas, you, that's what you, you don't get Peacock, well, but we'll get to that. <laughs> that way we, we'll, we will get to that. I do get Peacock, but but I was busy. Uh but no, I but that's what Arkansas wants to do. That's what Oregon wants to do. That's what Iowa wants to do, and Iowa did it to Iowa State again. You 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 kind of went down the litany of of why Kirk Ferentz has been so successful against Iowa State. But think about this: this is probably the biggest game at Jack Trice Stadium since the 2011 Oklahoma State game, which, by the way, I was at and going into it, nobody realized mm-hmm. it was going to be such a big game. This was college game day was there. This is everything they ever wanted. This was their coronation, and then it turns out to be exactly the same thing all over again. But just quick, quick addendum to our last thing. The, the uh, Texas Bowl final rushing yard stats were 191 to 2 in favor of Arkansas. So I don't know what was worse, that or tonight. Um, back That's to you, the too. great state of Iowa. I mean, it's crazy to think that these teams had never met as ranked opponents, and here they were meeting as top 10 opponents. Um, you got game day. You've got Reese Davis on the call. You've got this incredible hype machine behind Iowa State this year. Preseason top 10 team coming off arguably their best season ever. And it literally played out. It, I wouldn't even say exactly as the rest of them. I, it played out worse than the rest of them. I mean, the rest of them, they're usually in it. Um, this one was over really by the start of the fourth quarter. Uh, Brock Purdy got benched. Did not see that happening. Um, it's... <laughs> I struggle with this one. Maybe as a media member, like I, I do genuinely love Matt Campbell. I think he's done an incredible job there. I think he can do well at probably any job in the country. I just think we get so like, I don't know if it's just the playoff is like, it's playoff fatigue. It's boredom of seeing the same teams every year. We try so hard to hype up so many new teams and coaches who are nice and different. Like Tom Allen, my God, like the, He's a fine coach. Nothing against him. He seems like a nice guy. Has anyone got a more of a benefit of the doubt coming into the season than Indiana? Um, 
Will Healy tweets well, funny if locker room. If you were listening to this podcast, <laughs> you you heard I was going to crush some dreams. I said it before game one, and I, I said both first two weeks they're going to crush dreams, and sure enough, I mean, they are crushing dreams. Will Healy, again, I like. I think he's done a good job at Charlotte. I'm not the least bit surprised he beat Duke, but because he's nice to the media and tweets funny locker room videos, we're treated this like it's the greatest upset in the world last week. Iowa State, uh, I mean, Matt Campbell's not as like out there, but he's, he, by all accounts, a really genuinely good guy who, who's humble roots and has made a Big 12 contender out of what was a Big 12 laughingstock for so long. And again, I, I think he actually does deserve all the credit he's gotten. But the idea of them he being does. a playoff he wins team... wins like nine games a year at Iowa State. He so, does. Yeah, he, de- he deserves all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I just didn't see them as like a Big 12 contender coming to this year. Last year was the year to win the Big 12. They completely screwed up in the Big 12 title game against Oklahoma, and they will never have that good of a chance again. I, and you'll never convince me otherwise unless they actually do it this year. Like, last year was the year they blew it. Like, and I, maybe that sounds harsh, but if you want to be talked about as a top 10 team and a CFP contender, you don't throw three interceptions against a mediocre Oklahoma team. Like, Oklahoma's no longer mediocre. Like, they're really damn good maybe national title good. And as we saw from Iowa State today, more of the same against Iowa. Like, they are not national title good. They're probably not CFP or Big 12 title good. Um, I, I just think the hype machine just got way too out of control there. It could be worse. Yes. It could be Florida State. It could be Florida State <laughs> who lost to Jacksonville State. And I want to play you the call from the end of this game. I'll, I'll set the scene. Uh, they are down three. They... They've got about 55 yards to go. It's fourth and 10. And there's, you know, very little time on the clock. You know, this is going to be the last play. Guy catches the ball about the 19-yard line. There's two Seminoles there waiting to tackle him. And unfortunately, uh, neither one does. And and he makes it. And so we were we'll we'll give you the radio call from this in, in a second. Let me let me get this thing nice and queued up because it is uh it is everything you would ever want it to be in this sort of, of radio call. So here we go. Snap to Cooper. Looking down the field. He's got a man. Caught it. He's free. Phil Yall Johnson at the 10. At the 5. Touchdown. 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 There are no flags. Touchdown pass on the final snap of the game. Jacksonville State has won it. That That's what I want. Yes, from my my home team radio call. Well, the, they were the, the visiting team, but yes, that's what I want from the radio call from from the the campus team radio call. I want screaming. I want barely intelligible. I want just to have no idea what's going on. That that's what I want. You and me both, and it's funny because I watched that in real time. That was a game that. I'm trying to think what I had on the time. I had USC on at the time. I had the Holy War on. I think I had Arizona BYU, State Utah. On. Yep. Um, and I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on in the Florida State game. They were down 7 nothing earlier. And I see they're up 17-7, and I put it on. And um, in, in the same vein as Oregon, although obviously a different game, the most amazing part to me, and obviously that call um, shows differently, but watching that game on TV, it was not a Hail Mary. Like it was a no. fairly routine fifty-nine yard pass. I don't know that Zarek Cooper could have gotten and into the end zone. It was a long it, way. It, it was. He would so, have had to throw it like seventy yards in the air. It was the most routine, incredible play for an incredible upset. Okay, like we're done here. We'll go home. Well, like I want to. I want to. Sh- I want to shout out one guy though, Ahmad Edwards, 
He's a redshirt sophomore receiver from Alabaster, Alabama, who threw the greatest block of his life. I guarantee you. I, I've not seen his other blocks, but I can guarantee you this was the greatest block of his life because there was one Florida State defender that had a chance to stop that touchdown, and Ahmad Edwards erased him at the goal line. Maybe that's true, but there were still two who had the receiver in his grasp and it looked like they just had no interest in tackling whatsoever. Like I just could, and it, you know, it's a grass field, it's moist, it's night. I'm just waiting for him to like maybe slip up on his own, but like, it was just like the, the, I'm not even gonna call it a Hail Mary. The game winning touchdown pass was like in some ways, the least remarkable part about how Jacksonville state won that game. Like if you watch the fourth quarter of that game, Florida state, like God bless their fans. Like I just, the ESPN win probability, I think, got up to 98% at one point. It was in the mid-90s most. It should have been at 99 the whole time. Florida State was up 10, had fourth and goal at the three with 949 left and couldn't convert. They then allowed a 97-yard touchdown drive that featured two third and longs, the second of which had an interception that was taken off the board because of targeting. Then they only go 19 yards on their own and pump the ball back with 132 left and then give up. Just a, an absolutely baffling play. Like, I, if you're watching it live, they go straight to the ACC Network studio, and poor EJ Manuel's there with a face palm. <laughs> and Mark Comforted Rick is like, Mark rubbing, Rick. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> another no. Um, yeah. And it was, uh, it, it was just baffling. Like, I don't, and, you know, they were America's team six days ago. And now, when are they going to win a game? Syracuse. I mean, they're not going to beat Wake Forest. They're not good. At, they're not that good, I don't think. It, it, it's 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 bad, and and all of the good vibes from yes. the Notre Dame game are gone. Yes. And and I'm starting to wonder if we watched a Notre Dame Texas game in the mm-hmm. Notre Dame Florida State game. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right. Cynical conspiracy theory. Ready? (laughs) Notre Dame being good 
Universal NBC team members saying, we're going to sell some Peacock subscriptions by keeping Toledo in this game. I mean, I tweeted this during the game. It reminded me of the launch of the Big Ten Network when no one got it. And Appalachian State beat Michigan State – or beat Michigan, excuse me. And then 2018, Army had Oklahoma on the ropes, went to overtime. That game was on, on pay-per-view. pay-per-view. And so I'll be very we, curious. We, and we watched it we, around some guy's foot on on, on, the, Twitter, well, on, on Periscope. The, the Michigan game I remember watching, that was my first game. Actually, called, comes full circle with Mario Cristobal. My first game as a freshman at Penn State, they beat Mario Cristobal's first FIU team, 59 nothing. Yep. And – uh, the concession stand TVs had BT, Big Ten Network, and that's where we all crowded were around watching uh, Michigan. Those were like viral videos before viral videos were a thing. Me and uh, our colleague Pete Sampson had this exact same discussion on the Shamrock Pod, which is currently posted after the Toledo game today. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it was quite a day for, for, for Notre Dame, to say the least. I mean, it, it, it's I'll be very curious to see We'll get ratings. We'll get numbers. I want to see like the by quarters ratings and subscriptions, like how many people signed up in the fourth quarter. Most of them probably don't care about Notre Dame one way or another, but wanted to pay to see them lose because like they should have lost today, which is crazy to say. And how many of them will forget will forget to cancel because they won't they subscribe saying I'm going to cancel this before the 30 days is up. I bet they don't. Not so all of them. They, they might have tricked me. I got an email because I signed up for free for the spring game, which was on Peacock. And it said, enter. I think the code was Notre Dame. Big secret there. Um, enter code Notre Dame for $250 a month. But you had to sign up for three months. So I'm $750 broker for it. Uh, but I have it through the rest of the season for whatever I may need that for. Uh, all right. Before we leave Notre Dame, we do have to point out that Jack Cohn, the quarterback for Notre Dame, Apparently dislocated his middle finger on his throwing hand, got it popped back into place between plays, and then threw a touchdown pass to Michael Meyer to to win the game. The the addendum to that that Brian Kelly shared afterward might be even more incredible. They ran a two point conversion after that, which was very risky because they were only up one, and it was a, basically the Philly special. Um, Avery Davis, a receiver, former Notre Dame backup quarterback threw it to Kyron Williams for two. Uh, Kelly said Cohn was the first option to catch it on that play. So he not only threw the game-winning touchdown pass right after having his finger finger, uh, jolted back into its socket, he was supposed to catch the game, the the two-point conversion right after that. Um, That game had a little bit of everything, a little bit too much if you're an Irish fan, but that game had a little bit of everything. Somehow they're 2-0. And uh, Pete and I also, much like you said, thought maybe like right down to the Texas is back, Joe Tess on the call, Sunday night juju from five years ago, like starting to get a lot of those vibes from Notre Dame. Could could be. Now, a, a team that we weren't sure was going to be as good as last year that may actually be as good as last year, maybe even better, BYU. BYU took Utah to the woodshed. I, I realize Utah scored late to make it kind of close, but that was a beatdown. And that is BYU's first win against Utah since 2009. They were partying in Provo, such as it is. Uh, not the usual party favors that, that most of us would, would have, but they were on the field. They were, I mean, that was loud. That, that stadium was rocking. So, I mean, it, it was very impressive 
what Kalani Sataki and his team did because the thought was, okay, Zach Wilson's gone. You had this super special quarterback, and now you don't. There's going to be a drop-off. I'm not sure there's been a drop-off. No, there hasn't so far when they kept showing that stat during the game. I was shocked they had not won that game since 2009. I just They've been a better program to than one that loses to its rival 12 years in a row. Um, but they absolutely dominate night. They're now 2-0 against Pac-12. They play another ranked Pac-12 team next week in Arizona State. And you know who they close with? At USC. That will be interesting, given everything we just said. Oh, yeah. I, I don't I don't know that Clay Helton's going to be there because if, if if UCLA looks like it has looked the first few weeks, if he's around by the time they play UCLA, he's probably not after. Yeah, I mean, you look at how tough BYU looked today, how strong they were in the trenches. I mean, rarely does Utah get out Utah, for lack of a better term. Um, that was a really impressive performance coming on the heels of another impressive performance last week in Vegas against Arizona. Um, great weekend for and you're in one of those cities right now, the four Big 12 editions. They all get in on Friday. They all win today, two of them against FCS teams. But in BYU's case and in Houston's case, albeit only against Rice, both looked really, really good. Houston looked like a completely different team from the one that lost last week against Texas Tech. Yeah, the Bayou bucket, I was sitting in uh, Dana Holgerson's pool house, and uh, that's that's the way it goes. Yeah, big celebration, obviously, Uh, yeah. UCF had Bethune Cookman, which they, they better win that game. But yeah, everybody who who ascended to the Big Twelve, feeling very happy, very happy on the field. And and I talked to Chris Pesman, the the Houston athletic director, before the game, and and he's like, "Man, we better not lose this." I'm like, "They're not going to rescind the invitation if you lose. It's going to be okay." But they they came out and 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 put the hammer down. We still haven't talked about the most amazing thing that happened on Saturday, which was. At the Miami Appalachian State game, oh. I don't know how this happened. I still am unclear, but we've all seen the "Hang in there, baby" poster with the cat hanging from a branch. Well, that that happened. There was a cat hanging from a stadium rafter at Hard Rock Stadium. I don't know how the cat got there. I'm not sure I want to know, but it was hanging, and then it and it lost grip with one paw, and then it just kept hanging there and then it lost the grip of the other before and you hear everyone scream but beneath them there are a bunch of people holding an american flag and the cat falls into the american flag and is saved and they pick it up and hold it up lion king style like they're Mufasa passing around holding the like young simba up to the crowd and it peed all over them while that happened you, have you seen the movie mr deeds they remind me of the scene where he's a volunteer firefighter and there's a burning building and he climbs up into like the fourth story and there are like 12 cats on fire and he throws each one of them into the street and someone catches each one. And the, it ends with Rob Schneider playing the delivery man from uh, Big Daddy. It was that in real life. Like I see it going around online. I see a bunch of people, our colleagues in Slack posting about it. I see Manny saying I'm writing about it. Manny of our Miami writer. And at the time I'm so occupied with whatever it was I was writing or watching at the time, I thought, you know, I'll get back to that later. And I read the story that Manny wrote and I recommend you all read it as well. And it was phenomenal. Great, like boots on the ground journalism, like going to the heart of the story and talking to the heroes of the story. Is is boots the cat's (laughs) name now? We'll have to do a follow-up. Manny will have to do a follow-up with that cat. Um, The story was great. 
But then you watch the videos embedded with it, and holy crap, like, even knowing how it ended, and frankly, hating cat, hate, hate, hating You're cats and loving dogs, I will add, personally. Terrified. terrified! Like, I had more anxiety and tension watching those clips when I knew there was a happy ending than I did watching any game today, and it was just absolutely insane. That It felt like the cat was dang... It felt like the cat was dangling from one paw. It looks like a spider for like web. five like, minutes. It was probably and, really like five seconds. And, and, yeah. and the fact that it happened in Miami, like where else, right? I mean, you live in that state. I mean, it just <laughs> you can't make it up. It it is it is wild, but this is this is the sport that we choose to love, the stupidest sport in the world. That is also the greatest sport in the world. Matt Fortuna, thank you so much Always. for staying up late. Past Pac-12 after dark. God, I love college football. It was an amazing Saturday. Can't wait to do it again next week. Thanks so much.